Amen. Let's open our Bibles up to Luke chapter 15. And uh, certainly excited about the opportunity to come and spend with everybody. We um, have a few people I want to introduce before we get into uh, the lesson here this morning. And these are all people that have moved in uh, from various parts of the United States and uh, some of them outside of Texas. So they saw that they needed to be in God's country. And so they came as soon as possible. But all the way from Lubbock with their two daughters, Emma and Allie, uh, Drew and Christy Hatter. Amen. Amen. Ah, stay standing. Amen. And that is actually the sister of uh, Dan Bowling, which uh, is awesome. And then also uh, Shandy D. Shandy, Shandy Flores. Did I get that one right? Shandy, all right, stand, stand up, amen. <clears throat> Stay standing, amen. MJ, where's MJ? MJ has a stand up, amen. And last but not least, all the way from Boston, Andy Andra. Where's Andy at? Go ahead and stand up. So, amen. So, if we get an opportunity to uh, reach out to them and start building relationships, it's great having you guys here, amen. Thank you, amen. All right. Uh, two, maybe three quick announcements. One's a prayer request. We, we want to keep our brother, um, Sharif Bashai, in our prayers. Uh, he started chemo, I believe, yesterday for uh, leukemia, uh, the second round. And he's going to have a blood. Um, actually, what he's going to do is he's going to have a blood marrow transplant here this week. And so we want to be praying for him and his daughter, who is his donor. And, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is very challenging uh, for both him and her. We want to be praying for the Bashai family. And also, uh, two things that are on my heart that I wanted to share about. Uh, we're going to start what we call a MTA, a Minister Training Academy, here in Texas, Oklahoma. And we're going to alternate probably between Austin and Dallas uh, twice a year. And I'm going to send out an email this week for everyone who's on the blast and basically, it's going to be a, an opportunity for those um, in uh, the church and also perhaps those who want to learn more and maybe perhaps go in the ministry, but th those who want to understand maybe the Bible a little bit deep, deep, deeper way. We have 12 classes that we're going to be doing over the next six years. And this is going to be, we're just going to start rotating these. And so if you miss one, that's fine. But uh, this is going to be really something exciting that everyone can be a part of it. So I'll be sending that out. And then also, you know, as the church grows, uh, we don't have our campus ministry today here. Uh, they're going to start tonight, their first service up uh, in Denton. And, uh, but we do have a number of the students that come. For instance, a number were up here uh, leading our singing, which I'm very grateful for. Uh, and as our campus ministry grows, we have opportunities uh, for them to go like the Hope Youth Corps, um, one of your challenges, uh, situations like that. We have a student that uh, wants to go on a mission um, team or uh, a time of training at Papua New Guinea. And so he's actually looking for sponsors. So if this is something that you'd like to sponsor, one of the campus students uh, helping out, I know as time goes, we'll have more opportunities but if, uh, if this is something that you're interested in, I'll have some information after service, and you can come and talk to me. So let's jump into Luke 15. Luke 15, uh, I've been doing this, what I call a journey to Jerusalem. Start in Luke 9, Luke 18, 
Uh, we're kind of basically about halfway through. And in Luke chapter, we're going to look at Luke 15 today. And we understand the context before we jump into Luke 15. It's in chapter 14 at the end, Jesus talked about heaven. And I think sometimes when we think about, you know, God and the Bible, you know, it's good just to think about, wow, what is heaven going to be like? And it's not really descriptive. Other than Jesus talks in certain ways about the kingdom of God and, and what heaven's going to be like. And the analogy he uses is a banquet, a huge banquet. And you understand the joy, the excitement, the fellowship, the fun when you have family come in and you have a big spread and a big banquet. But this banquet's going to be for the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, those who see their need. And so that's the context going into Luke chapter 15. So let's pick it up. Luke 15, verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes mumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Let's stop there for a second. Drawing near or grumbling? On one side, you have tax collectors, sinners, drawing near to Jesus, being drawn to Jesus. Why? What was it about him, his message, his love that drew people, the dredge of society, to Jesus? You know, in Isaiah, we find out it wasn't his looks. We know it wasn't because he was particularly wealthy. In fact, Jesus, I don't think, owned anything his life other than maybe the clothes he wore. We don't think he probably had a, an incredible ability to play a sport or an instrument or to sing. So what was it about Jesus that drew people to him, especially sinners? And we have to ask ourselves the question, well, what is a sinner? If we understand Jesus' character, something about Jesus drew all people to him, especially sinners and tax collectors, well, what's a sinner? A sinner is a, someone who is an undeserving person, who deserves nothing, separated. Yet these sinners still wanted something. They wanted someone to love the unworthy. Someone who was willing to help the undeserving. And so they drew to Jesus. Now on the other side of this story, you have the Pharisees and the scribes. And they were grumbling. Why? What was it about him. What was it about his message? What was it about his love that caused these people to grumble? And see, I believe Luke 15 really starts off as a parable of heartbreak. A parable of tax collectors and sinners that are missing 
Missing the banquet. Missing the family. Missing the atmosphere of love and encouragement and support and being drawn near. And we have to ask ourselves the question, well, what do we do? If someone's missing, what do you do? So then Jesus told him a parable. Luke chapter 15, verse 3. He says, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so. I tell you that there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Stop there. One's missing. What do you do? One's not here. One's not at the banquet. One's separated. What do you do? It's mine. It's one of the hundred. It's missing. I'm concerned. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave the 99 in a safe position, and I am going to go after it until I find it. However long it takes. And so he goes. We don't know how long he went. But he went. And then he found it. He found his lost sheep. And he puts it on his shoulder. And you can imagine the, the shepherd walking along the path and his sheep on the back of his shoulder holding the legs. And, and he calls his friends. He says, come rejoice with me. You know, it's. It's always fun to be happy. But, you know, I think I, I like being happy with people around me. You know, I go over to Edwin's every once in a while, and we'll play poker, and, and we'll play, and there's like 20 people. And you know when I'm the really the happiest? Is when I found the ultimate pot, and all of my friends are around me celebrating because I won. And we find out there's more joy in heaven when one sinner repents. More joy in heaven when one sinner repents. So it keeps on going. Jesus isn't done. And in Luke chapter 15, verse 8, he says, or what woman? First it was, a, you know, a man, shepherd. I don't know, somewhat maybe doing okay. But now, what about a woman? Or what woman having 10 silver coins, basically a, a silver coin of drachma is about a day's wage, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that was lost. Just so, I tell you, 
There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. One's missing. One's not here. One's not celebrating. Enjoy in the fellowship, the banquet. What do you do? It's mine. It's valuable to me. I know what I'll do. You know, it's funny, it's the same predicament as the shepherd. Do I spend time and energy on that one? I got 99. Man, I got 10, I got nine more. Do I spend time and energy on that one? You see, they're not content with what remains, but willing to make every effort to rescue the lost coin. So she lights a lamp, sweeps the house, seeking diligently until she finds it. We don't know how long it took. But we know she sought diligently because it had value to her. And then she finds it. And what does she do? Rejoice with me. My goodness, look what happened. I found it. Man, 10 days of salary. It was lost. This is important to me. And there is joy before the angels of God when one sinner repents. You know, last week, um, Jeff preached, and he, and he showed a video on some of the students that were baptized this last semester. And, you know, he'll, he'll continue to do that because we want to make sure everybody in this ministry understands what we're supporting up in Denton and what we're trying to do. And there was a young man named Josh that was baptized. And Josh's story is, uh, is interesting because, see, Josh actually was a kingdom kid. Parents were in the church, and Josh got to a point in his life that, you know, it's like, you know, it's just he got baptized, and it got to a point where it's like, you know what, I just don't have that same feeling. And he left God, he left the church, and he went and wandered. And then what happened is after a, a, a period of time, he decided, like, you know what, I want to go to school, and he picked Texas uh, Women's University. You know, two guys, 10,000 girls, and he decided to go to school at Texas Women's University. And so he goes to school, and you know what? He has cordial relationships. He, has, he knows some of the disciples, and said, so, you know what? I, don't, I really don't want a relationship with God. I don't want to read my Bible, but you know what? I'll come. I'll come, and I'll spend time with you and your ministry. But, you know, it's hard when you're in the family at the banquet and people are loving, encouraging, spending time, having a purpose. And Josh basically saw the difference, saw the love of the disciples, finding out that they were praying for him. And he loved them back. And as he loved them back, he eventually started studying the Bible, and eventually 
was baptized. He's mine. He's part of the family. He's missing. What do I do? I'll seek. I'll look for him. I'll be patient. I am going to love. You know, the Jesus continues in the parable, and <laughs> now he picks it up. Now, you know, he uses this coin. He uses the analogy of a sheep, and now he gets deep because now he starts talking about family. In verse 11, in chapter 15, the story continues. And he said, there's a man who had two sons. The younger one of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming me. So he divided his property between them. Not many days, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. You know, this story here, it's the second time I preached part of this, but there's, it's just pregnant with thoughts. It's, it's pregnant with so many things you can talk about and focus on, but, but I don't want to get into the younger son. I don't want to talk about what it took for him to come to his senses. In verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will rise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as you would your hired servants. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Father, one's missing. One's not here. One's off and making his own mind up, his decisions, and going off, and now he's not here at the party, the banquet. What do you do? What do you do when your flesh and blood decide to do things on their own and take off on a course that you're not set on? See, now it's a family setting. And family, 
family's tough because there's more drama, more emotional engagement, and more heartbreak. But he's mine. He's my son. What am I to do? I mean, I'm going to let my son make his own choices. I'm not going to control my son. My son's got to learn. But the father was watching. That didn't mean the father wasn't praying. That doesn't mean the father wasn't loving. That doesn't mean the father wasn't compassionate. The father was watching for his son to come back. And when his son came back, we find an old man lifting up his outfit, whatever you want to call it back then, running as an old man, embracing and kissing his adult son. He's down. Rejoice with me. My son is back. He's no longer dead. And see, Jesus told these three parables as an illustration for what it means to be lost and how a loving father reacts to help them come home. You know, over the last couple of years, you know, we've seen some pretty cool things. And there's a picture here of a family, two families actually. And probably the one person I would share about is, first of all, is Julianne Wilson. And next to Julianne is Sherilyn McCowan, who lives in, uh, in um, the southwest region in uh, Colleville. And about... 17 years ago, 16 years ago, when Patty and I got back in the ministry, we moved down to the southwest region, and probably 15, 16 year, 15 or 16 years ago, Cheryl Lynn's, who's in the black next to Julianne, mother and father came out to church. And we studied, Patty and I studied the Bible with both of them. Two, three, four months getting in, studying, Jesus, discipleship. What does it mean to follow, understanding God's love? And you know what? No, I ain't going to do it. I ain't going to. And didn't want anything to do with it. And, you know, Sherilyn is my mom, is my dad. So what does she do? She loves him. Last year, Annie, in the red, storm, sweatshirt, and her husband, Dale, started studying the Bible again. Three, four, five, six months, started studying. And after that period of time, they're like, you know what? Man, we need to make Jesus Lord. We need to become disciples of Jesus. They turned themselves in. They are all set up. They're going to be baptized on a Wednesday night. And, you know, and I love these people. Rob, Cher uh, Sherilyn's husband, called me up. Todd, mom and dad are getting baptized. So I drove down there after a men's midweek, down to Arlington, 10 o'clock at night. Find the place. I get out. I walk up to Annie and, and Dale, and Annie just starts bawling. 
Dale looks at me and he goes, I thought you'd be here. So last year then, they became disciples. Well, Julianne's aunt, Aunt Margaret, been in Texas now for a little while, working on Sundays, eh, you know, kind of like the church, didn't care for it that much. But after a while, she said, you know what, I need, to, I need to get out of my job or I need to change my hours because she's working on Sundays. So, you know, I want to I start coming to church. So she talked to her employer and she said, you know, I need Sundays off. So she started going to church with Julianne and Annie in the Southwest. And after a while, started studying the Bible. Started understanding about Jesus. Started understanding what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And then Margaret decided that she too needed to make Jesus Lord of her life. And during this time, Julianne's mother-in-law, Chris's mom, Dee, moved in. And obviously, they're all, everyone goes some way, somehow, we're all connected to the Wilson family. <laughs> and so, Dee... Julianne asked Dee to sit in the studies, and now Dee's not a member of the church. She used to be a part of the church in, in St. Louis. They had some hard times. And so no longer went to the church, moved here, wasn't quite sure what she wanted to do. But you know what? Julianne was like, you know, why don't you sit in the Bible with Aunt Margaret? So she sat in the studies with Aunt Margaret and participated and and loved and spent time. And after a period of time, Aunt Margaret was like, you know what, I need to make Jesus Lord in my life. So she gets, she repents, she gets baptized. And then after Aunt Margaret gets baptized, Dee says, you know what, all these studies have been about Aunt Margaret. And I didn't want to take away from her. But I need to get right. I need to be restored to the fellowship. I need to be a part of the body. And so the women started studying, got in there, had some great talks. And I think the thing that helped Annie become a disciple was seeing her son and daughter love her, her and her husband, Dale. What helped Aunt Margaret become a disciple was seeing the love of the Wilson family. What helped Dee Reengage and be a part of the fellowship was one of the things she said was all the young people loving Jesus. All the young people serving, especially the Bashai kids and just engaging and Kelsey and, and just all the, and then she says, man, you're making an impact on youth. And that meant so much to her. I appreciate little Bashai being up here and kind of First of all, adding a pleasant face to look at up on the band there, <laughs> but kind of lowering the age there a little bit, which I'm cool with that. But just seeing, seeing the love, seeing the relationships and the banquet, the party, the fellowship. So Dee turned herself in. And so Jesus shared a parable. You know what made the difference? Love. Now I got two points. I haven't done the point first point yet. 
loss. There's two themes here. Loss, and I'm going to hit the other one real quick. But being lost. You know, <laughs> you know we, we, we as a membership, we as a fellowship, we as a people of God, we've got to understand loss. You know, and, and I, so I got it, and I was studying this, and I was reading it out, and, and I wanted to understand, what does it mean to be lost? And so I got in my, my I have this, this program that, that George let me buy, and I'm studying, reading, and I'm looking, okay, software about God and the Bible, lost. Nothing other than the Greek. And really the only thing, new, nave, topical Bible, they didn't have it. And the only thing they had there was see, wicked, or punishment of. And I'm like, like, whoa. Look what nave, topical, new nave, topical Bible looks at. It goes, wicked, see, wicked and punishment. They didn't have anything for loss, but you can go to wicked and punishment of the loss, or punishment of. Loss. In the Bible, in, in the Greek, is apolomi. I took two years of Greek. <laughs> I know these things. And there's very few of you will know if I'm butchering or not. <laughs> so accept your place. Amen. <laughs> so if you want to take a quick look at what lost means in the Greek, it means to d- destroy, perish, lose, or lost. That's a quick looking at it. Webster's or whatever, that's what it means, lost, destroy, perish, lose, lost. But if you take a deeper look, if you, if you look at and you study the Greek and, okay, I want to take a little bit deeper look here, it means to lose something one possesses. It means to be unaware, unaware of your location, unaware and does not know where something is. See, I like the deeper, deepest look to destroy. But see, the fundamental thought of to destroy is not the annihilation by any means, but rather the unavoidable distress and torment. It's not about exterminating, destroy, ah, you. It's not about that at all. It's, it's rather this inescapable, needless suffering. That if you continue down this path of loss, you're going to suffer. Because you're not with the family. You're not with your father who loves you. You're not at the banquet. You're separated from it, and you're going to go through things that you don't need to go through. The sheep, the coin, the son, no longer with me. It's unaware of its location and the danger it's in. It's in a place where there will be unavoidable distress and torment. Lost. got to go back the, the first verse or two because, see, Jesus must have been so frustrated with the Pharisees and scribes 
for their lack of understanding, their lack of compassion, their lack of concern for the lost children of God, the tax collectors and sinners. And these were the ones that were being drawn to Jesus. But they didn't care. And guess what? You see it in the older son. Older son. Let's keep on reading the parable because we're not finished. Luke chapter 15, verse 25. It says, now the older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked him these, what these things meant. And the servant said, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and treated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And see, this parable ends when we got chapter 16. But can you imagine sitting there and listening to this parable and Jesus engaging the Pharisees and, Sadduc and the scribes? And what does the older son do? What, what, is, what is happens to the older son? Does he repent? Does he, does he accept the younger son? Does he become joyful and happy? Or he just stays angry, bitter, resentful? And we don't know. It's open-ended. It just makes you go, hmm, what about me? So the second point, and it's going to be a short point, and, and, and I don't have anything silly or, or cute or funny that you're going to be able to remember this lesson other than lost, and then who's the prodigal? Who's the prodigal? I say the prodigal father. <laughs> I, I shared this one time before. It's like in, in our context, again, Nave's new Bible, lost, so see, the, see wicked, see punishment of. You know, it's like lost, like, ah, disgusting. Ah, I'm going to destroy you. Prodigal. We look at the, this, this whole Luke 15, and what does the world look at it? Oh, it's the prodigal son that takes his loving father's money and spends it on prostitutes, just spends it in, in his life in decadence, and ugh, it was up to me, I'd destroy him. But who's the prodigal? <laughs> prodigal means reckless, extravagant, having spent everything. The adjective of prodigal means spending money or resources freely and recklessly, wastefully extravagant, having or giving something on a lavish style. As a noun, 
It's a person who spends money in a reckless, extravagant way. So who's the prodigal? The sheep, the coin, the son. What does the father do? He focuses his attention on them. He pours out his love on them. He searches for them. He takes the initiative for them. He waits patiently for them to quit being stupid and for them to come to their senses and see and understand and repent and come back to him. He has overwhelming compassion for them. So who's the prodigal? Who's the one that lavishly gave? God, Jesus, recklessly loving the unlovable. Giving all freely, lavishing at all costs. And so what happens? Well, see, the sinners and the tax collectors see that. And they're drawn to that. Why? Why does the father act like the prodigal? Because he can restore to a correct, they can be restored to a correct relationship with the father. My, my sons, my daughters, they're not here. So I'm going to lavish on them my love. I want them to understand how much I care and I'm looking for them. Because we know one sinner who repents, there's more joy in heaven. One sinner who repents, there's joy before the angels of God. One sinner repents. A father receives back a son or a daughter that was dead. So who's the prodigal? I throw in there the so what? Do you share that joy? Seriously. Do you share that joy? Are we preoccupied with finding the lost? Do we love in such a way that it draws people to the Father? Are we going to learn? Are we going to be humble? Are we going to seek and understand? So you know what? I can love the way Jesus loved. Because it's not how I look. It's not how good I play baseball or basketball. It's not how much money I have or how educated I am. Jesus. Are we drawing people to Jesus? Do we share that joy? I want to. So I'm going to do whatever it takes to learn how to love people in such a way that they'll be drawn to Jesus. You know, we're going to take communion now. And I hope that as we take communion, we'll consider how much God loves us, how much Jesus loves us, and how he lavished extravagantly on us 
so that we can have a correct relationship, a loving relationship with our Father in heaven. Let's go to God in prayer.